Hi everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Dan Pardo and this is Pardo's Turn, my ongoing YouTube channel and podcast where I highlight a classic show tune from a music director's point of view and with the help of a special guest, perhaps shed some light on what makes the gems of our musical theater canon so great. For my 50th episode, ah, I am happy to invite on Adam Bashian, an honest-to-goodness Broadway bass. Best known for two high-profile a cappella musicals, In Transit, which he performed alongside two of my other Pardo's Turn guests, James Snyder and Aaron Mackey, and Dave Malloy's Octet, which enjoyed a sold-out run earlier this year at the Signature Theatre. We haven't seen the last of that one yet. Adam spent several years on the road with Phantom of the Opera, and has appeared off-Broadway in On Your Toes at Encore City Center, Tamar of the River at Prospect, Edwin at St. Clement's, and Hungarian Nights as a part of the Nymph Festival. Together, we are going to explore Barber and his wife from Sweeney Todd. It is no secret that the centuries-old Dies Irae melody, a Gregorian chant about death, is peppered throughout the score of Sondheim's iconic musical thriller, most notably in the opening Ballad of Sweeney Todd, and later in Epiphany near the end of Act One. It's obscured in varying degrees. In certain cases, only a note or two is changed. So this is the Dies Irae melody. <laughs> This is the first line of the Ballad of Sweeney Todd. In the case of the ballad's rhythmic accompaniment, a theme that reappears many times throughout the show, the dies irae melody is inverted or turned upside down with one of the crucial notes from the melody displaced by an octave sustained in the bass. same notes, just kind of in a slightly different configuration. This is all a bit dense for the purposes of this episode, but if you want to go down that rabbit hole, there are multiple essays and YouTube videos devoted to this connection. But the fun thing about Sweeney for me is how these variations on DSRA then become their own themes that get deconstructed further throughout the rest of the score. In the opening ballad, the motor rhythm accompaniment that I identified is presented in 6-8 time, almost like a Brechtian sea shanty. But turn ahead to the barber and his wife, and we hear the same notes, but now superimposed on a duple meter, suddenly making the melodic component of this figure less anxious and more melancholy. Once the vocal comes in for the song, if we can even call it a song, it's free and recitative, operatic in both form and aesthetic. Meter changes abound, making the lyric come naturally in conversational rhythms. While you can't exactly get swept up in the music, it's more effective that way because it forces us instead to hang on Sweeney's every word, not to miss any of his important exposition. Harmonically, his story is imbued with pain and anger, with certain tender phrases like, and she was beautiful, juxtaposed with jarring, strident chords. Even in the more diatonic passages, there are a lot of added suspensions and non-chord tones, creating a musical fog that provides both the requisite mystery and a sense of distance for the titular narrator who refers to himself in the third person. The coda for this excerpt, a short teaser of the furious epiphany, 
comes out of a seven-beat holding pattern, now in a stricter tempo. By itself, the music is unstable and troubled, again limping along in seven, but what's even more disturbing is when the vocal enters, his rambling mutterings are still in 4-4 time. Despite the accompaniment, it's like he's operating on a completely different plane, blinded by his thirst for revenge, unaware of the world around him. Hey Adam, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm so happy to have you on. Uh, so Adam and I did a reading of a show called Marco Polo, what, maybe three years ago now? Something like that. Even yeah, more? Maybe. Time goes by so fast. Um, and uh, as you can tell by his rich, velvety speaking voice, <laughs> he is probably the lowest bass or baritone <laughs> I've had on Pardo's turn thus far. In the opera world, in the classical uh, world, you know, they have proper basses and tenors. In musical theater, everything is kind of shifted somewhere in the middle. Yes. You know, in college and stuff like that, you, you don't really learn about a lot of bass roles in mm -hmm. musical theater. The, you know, you, you, because you have a resonant voice, everybody thinks you're going to play like the heroic baritone, like a lot of Billy Bigelow and stuff like that. And in reality, those roles are not really written for a bass it voice. It still goes up to a G. Yeah, and, and <laughs> higher in some cases. And so it was tough for me to really actually learn what a bass was first and foremost and then what that rep translates to or correlates to and so you know that was when you had to dig a little bit deeper and find out like judge turpin you know or caiaphas and superstar so that was that was probably the trickiest thing was as a youngster like trying to sing up there and just hurting myself all the time but as i've gotten older and you know essentially more more known in the industry there are composers who you know, we'll think back and remember that, oh yeah, I do know a bass, like maybe I could be a little creative with this piece and actually write a bass role for right. it. Pete Mills is one of them, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he writes for basses. Andrew Beale writes for basses. Now, I see yeah. a lot of, like, nymph stuff on your resume, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, developmental pieces. Yeah. Do you kind of gravitate towards newer composers who know you personally for that reason? Exactly, yeah. And that's, that you nail it on the head. It's a lot of new composers, a lot of developing work because I formed some relationship with them and then they sort of remember that. Honestly, my favorite parts of my career have been uh -huh. developing new work. I, I like that more than anything. And it's it's cool that, that composers are open to it once they do find it's out there. Sure. You know, um, Alex Gibson, who's another yes. amazing yes. bass who I've worked with, uh, we just did Octet together and we were saying, you know, there's always the joke that there's like eight basses in musical <laughs> theater. And, there, there are probably not roles, individual individuals, individuals, yeah, <laughs> and there are probably dozens and dozens more. Yeah. But you know, nobody wants to admit that because there's no roles for them. Right. So composers, like, feel free to write for us because we're out there. You know. <laughs> so you mentioned octet. One of the interesting features of your resume is that you were in not one but two acapella theater yeah. pieces, and they're. Probably are only two that we can point to. Yeah. Uh, Octet and then in transit with another fabulous bass I know, Nick Ward. Nick Ward. Um, so, what, uh, can you talk about what it's been like developing those two new pieces and how doing an acapella musical um, procedurally has been different sure. than other traditional musicals? Yeah, movies? absolutely. There actually is one other acapella musical okay. called um, Avenue X. But uh, it's it's interesting. It's definitely an interesting developmental process. Within Transit, at least, I had done a lot, a lot, a lot of the workshops. So they had done on, in Transit at primary stages in like 2010 or something like that. And then after that, they kind of restructured and rewrote the show. And then that's when I joined in. Okay. Um, and for the initial auditions for those workshops, 
there were more callbacks than I've ever been in, I think, for anything, for a workshop. Yeah. Uh, and at that time, they were still giving actors the right of first refusal for, for things. So that was, um, you know, I think why they put so much time into it is because they were kind of stuck with us for a while. Right. But they had blending auditions, just, you know, vocally, because I, I think there had never really been anything like it before. Yeah. So they were... They were just covering all their bases as much no pun intended, mm -hmm. as much as they could. Um, it brought along, I guess, new new challenges. But but strangely enough, it wasn't. It's not as different as you'd think uh -huh. than doing a standard musical. Um, you know, within Transit and Octet, we had in ear monitors, mm -hmm. so that does help you during the course of the run. That it gives you a starting pitch. It gives you a click. Um, in Transit, gave us a lot more information than Octet did. Octet was a lot more. We, a chamber piece or something? Yeah, it was a chamber piece, and, and in a lot of it, we would set our own tempos in certain songs. We sort of had to feel it with each other, which, mm -hmm. in my opinion, made for a much more genuine experience, a much more honest experience for, for everybody involved. Post-Pitch Perfect, there, there's a certain artifice in the world of acapella, you know, singing yeah. that, you know, probably would uh, carry over to this theatrical piece as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Within Transit, much more than Octet. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the main differences with that was that, you know, Dave... Dave Malloy, who wrote Octet, he, he never set out to write an acapella musical. Right. He set out to tell this story of addiction. Yes. And it was just the best way to tell the story was via acapella music. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's why, you know, that, that piece resonated so much more with people. Yeah. Whereas in transit, it was, you know, for lack of a better word, that was the gimmick of it, is mm -hmm. that it was acapella. It's a beautifully written show, like it's mm -hmm. catchy, it's fun, but there is a lot more to the genre of acapella that I think needs to be explored. And I think Octet really started delving into that in, a, in an amazing way. So in addition to some of these uh, newer pieces that you've gotten the chance to work with, you also were on the road with Phantom for four years yeah. at, uh, off and on. Yeah. Um, have you ever done the um, stepped in over at the Majestic? Tour? I have not. Okay. I have not yet. <laughs> I would love to. Uh, no, not yet. It's actually uh, the Phantom on the Road currently, which unfortunately is closing in January, oh. and yeah, and the Majestic are two completely different shows. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Funny enough. Uh, different iterations of uh, the. It's the same story. It's essentially as if. You know, if Phantom had closed, like let's say ten years ago on Broadway, uh -huh. and this was, and it was revived, this is what the revival would be. Uh, it was directed by Lawrence Connor, and it's a lot darker than the majestic version. It's it's less of a melodrama. It's mm -hmm. more of like a real, honest portrayal. Like if this guy was truly a real murderer, how would he do these magical things? Right. And so so Lawrence went on to sort of you know, give reasoning behind the magic. It was it's really cool. Yeah, it's a really cool rendition of it. I love the show. Um, Did they take some of like the 80s synths and out? No, that's all there. <laughs> I can't get rid of that. Okay. Uh, all like the favorites are yeah. still there. Like they so, have the boat so, and everything. So you know? people don't go on the road to see it and it's like, I was expecting a chandelier. Well, I mean, they do that anyway, but we, <laughs> but we have the chandelier. The okay. chandelier does all its amazing stuff. Uh, uh, the boat uh, is still there. The only thing that we don't have, which people seem to get up in arms about, is the staircase and masquerade. Oh yeah. We have what's what I think is even cooler is a mm -hmm. hall of mirrors, and so oh. like everything is reflected, and we do like an actual dance. It's not uh -huh. just the which I think is beautiful when they do the, the hand motions, but yeah. um, ours is like a true partnering um, moment. Okay. Yeah, it, it's much different. No less grand. Mm -hmm. It's just different. So uh, the piece that we're going to to explore, yeah. uh, Sweeney, one of the great bass roles. Yeah. Um, you played this once, what in Jersey? Somewhere? I did. I, I played it twice. Oh, twice. Once okay. was high school, so I don't know if I really count that. Okay. But then <laughs> I did it there, and then I, I did it in college as well, mm -hmm. which I guess was somewhat more legitimate. Um, and then I actually played Judge Turpin in a community theater 
years ago too, when I was far too young to be doing such a thing. But mm -hmm. but that was a lot of fun too. Yeah. What what about uh, either Sondheim in general or Sweeney specifically that kind of draws you in besides just the tessitor of the role? Yeah. Um, I mean that helps, <laughs> but. I, I never really know how to put into words why I love Sondheim so much. It just it just makes sense. Like nothing is written just for the sake of it. Like it all has such purpose. And and Dave Malloy is another writer like that who, mm -hmm. who I think nothing he writes is just because. Everything yeah. has a point. And that means a lot to me because I find when I'm watching, you know, contemporary media of any kind, be it theater, television, I'm always just like, get to the point already. Like like <laughs> stop coddling us as an yeah. audience. Just give us your message. Right, right, right. Uh, and Sondheim does that better than anybody. Um, and Sweeney in particular, like, I'm a huge fan of, like, the revenge story. Um, yeah. Like, big time. I mean, the, the, the themes that he writes, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's you know, revenge in the context of Sweeney or, like, the artist's process for uh, Sunday in the Park or, yeah. you know, what it means to just not be in a, a romantic relationship for... Con like, there are these... There are these ideas that are just slightly off center from you know the stories that we hear day to day, and and I think there's a lot of validity in our experience f for those things, but we just don't explore them dramatically. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think a lot of that is because you know going back to it, I think a lot of times writers in particular don't really trust their audiences in a sense. Yeah. They they think that they need to dump things down, or they think they need to spoon feed. Um, you know, I was talking to a producer recently who was asking me about a piece she had she had developed, and and she you know she asked me my honest opinion, and I said you know I don't think it works. I think like you have a story to tell here, but it's layered with like useless like there's a love story for some reason, and this isn't. And she said to me, well, nobody's going to go to a show to see core of the show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, they will. And and I said, you know, five years ago, would you have said anybody would go to see a show about Alexander Hamilton? Right. No. And but then, he had a, he <clears throat> needed to tell his story, mm -hmm. and that's all you need. You just need to tell your effing story, you yeah. know, and trust your audience will get it. Mm -hmm. You know, have a little faith in that, and and go for it. I, you know, it's like title of show. I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. Right. And I truly, truly believe that. was a barber and his wife, and she was beautiful. A foolish barber and his wife, she was his reason and his life, and she was beautiful, and she was virtuous. There was another man who saw that she was beautiful, a pious vulture of the law, with a gesture of his claw, removed the parlor from his place, and there was nothing but to wait, and she would fall, so soft, so young, so lost, and oh so Years ago, I doubt if anyone would know. 
Presence here is yeah. your impressive facial hair, which and I'll, 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 I'll superimpose some photos. Uh, it often comes in various configurations, yes, it does. and you also rock a very convincing five o'clock shadow <laughs> at all times. Um, is there a correlation between bases and beards? Yes. <laughs> yes, uh, it's all that that extra testosterone. Uh, you know what? It, really, the beard came out of um, first of all, like. I'm Armenian Puerto Rican, okay. so like ethnic. I did, not, I did not know that. I know, yeah, I, I don't always, uh, it doesn't always come through, but yeah, I'm like ethnic AF, and uh, so that came with a lot of, you know, hair all over the place, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it grows in abundance. Um, but really, the beard came from uh, during in transit, we yes. had like two microphones, and for the bases, we had to have it like right up at our mouth, and yeah. so my tape would always come off. So Nick and and Dave Avalis, who was the other uh, the other lower voice guy in transit, uh -huh. we they grew beards and they had it clipped right. I'm like, that's like a dynamite idea. <laughs> so I grew so the beard, yeah, right the just beard to clip, itself. yeah, and it took me all of four hours, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I clipped the mic right in there, and uh, it just kind of stuck. And then you know, uh, I as a bass, you get mm -hmm. called in for like forty to eighty year old men all the time, and at the time yes. I was you know in my late twenties, so it, it didn't work. Also, kind of surfing your sight and some other things, yeah. not only do you have the beard, but also specific aesthetic choices in terms of like <laughs> velvet and skulls. Yeah. And is, is this all feeding into something? It is, and I'm going to plug it right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Besides performing and uh -huh. singing and acting, I am uh, an antiques and oddities dealer. So I buy and sell cool macabre treasures for your home. Uh, and that's like taxidermy skulls, funeral, medical, antiques, uh, gothic architecture stuff, like really cool, you know, cabinet of curiosity vibe things. Okay. And me and there's another actress, super, super talented uh, dancer, singer, actress named uh, Natalia Lepore Hagen. Okay. And we are like the resident showgirls of the Broadway community. Right. <laughs> and we're like very into all this stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, it's, it's not only is it like something that feeds my soul, mm -hmm. like super like, you know, aesthetically pleasing to me, but it, it's, it's my side hustle. Yeah. Do you go on like pilgrimages to like, New Orleans and then I, places. And I've been to New Orleans several times. Did, but, did you uh, go to the Apothecary Museum? Yeah, I love the Apollo. It's a great museum. Yeah, and the Mooter Museum in Philly is another great one. Yes, but but uh, yeah, it's awesome. But I'm constantly going to flea markets and estate sales, and I have like a whole nother life where that's okay. like I'm a big player in that world too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as if I'm a big player in this world. Uh, I'm not. Uh, but in the oddities world, yeah. And um, I actually, the furthest I went for a pick was France. Wow. I went to Paris to go to this huge flea market that is like a seasonal thing out there. Yes. And I just got so many treasures. That's uh, awesome. It was, it was amazing. So yeah, uh, follow on Instagram, dark.interiors, or on Facebook, it's just at darkinteriors. That's the company name. Um, and where can we follow your next, uh, is Octet Move? What, what's the story? I mean, I, I, tr I can't say much because I don't know okay. everything. I do know... I mean, obviously, there's a lot of rumors. Mm -hmm. uh, Lynn manuel uh, helped with that. Um, but yeah, I think it's safe to say the show has some life coming. Right. But before that, the album comes out very soon. Oh, I, great. Yes, yes, we did do a cast album. I don't know exactly when it's coming out, but mm -hmm. it's being mastered now by Dave and some awesome producers. So that will be coming out very soon for digital and hard copy release. Uh, you can check it out. 
you know, hopefully there's something in the stars for me soon. <laughs> we had both show clothes yeah. last night. So. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for coming Hey, on. thank you. It was a lot of fun. Uh, if you like uh, what you heard today, follow Adam, follow uh, Octet, and we'll see you next week on Harder's Turn. Bye. Thanks.